0: On this week's episode, we speak with an American entrepreneur about the dispensary model, issues facing medical cannabis patients in the U.S., as well as the endocannabinoid system. All that and more coming up right here on Critical Grass.
1: Forget it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass is stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use that alcohol, it's the in-thing, the hula-hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical. Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts.
2: Pretty Cold Grass. My name is Mara Gordon. I'm from Bodega Bay, California. I'm a process engineer.
0: There's a nice little cover of Hotel California, the state where this week's guest hails from. Mara Gordon specializes in developing cannabis extract treatment protocols for seriously ill patients in California. She co-founded Aunt Zelda's and Zelda Therapeutics, as well as The Oil Plant. Her experience as a process engineer has enabled her to take a detailed and scientific approach to medical cannabis. In addition, Mara holds board positions with Gabriela's Kitchen, CanPal, Fundación Daya, and Patients Out of Time. She also speaks at medical conferences throughout the world, which is where I managed to track her down and pick her brain a bit. And I asked Mara about her initial contact with cannabis and how she discovered its therapeutic properties.
2: My first experience, I was, I think, I think I was like maybe 12 years old. And uh, back in those days, it was all what we call Mexican ditchweed. Mm -hmm. And you would buy like a lid, they called it, which was just a baggie. And based upon whether it was three fingers thick or four fingers thick, it would be a three finger lid or a four finger lid. And it was like $10 to buy. It was so cheap. But by the time you cleaned out all the stems and the seeds and everything that was in it, there was very little left, like maybe one finger left at the baggie. You also could smoke and smoke and smoke and barely feel anything because the the THC level was quite low. Even with that though, I was very hypersensitive to it, or super sensitive is what we call. And I remember trying it and then hating it. Hated the, I felt paranoid, I felt disassociative. I tried it again in like high school and college hated it. I never had a positive experience with it. I would sometimes get pressured to use it with my friends or whatever, and I would try it. And then every, every time without exception, my response to myself would be, why did I use this? I know I'm going to hate how I feel. When it became time to use it medically, I decided to approach it differently And I decided to pay attention to the experience that I was having. Instead of feeling it, I was going to watch it. I was going to say, okay, what is it about this this plant that all these people are raving about? Let me see if I can just let go of my fear, let go of all the preconceived and try it. And I was shocked. It was fantastic. I did a great meditation that night. I had a great night's sleep and my pain reduced considerably. Um, I had no idea what cannabis smelled like because I had never, I mean, what I got in a baggie back in the 70s had no comparison to the reality of the plant. I had actually never seen a cola, a flower, because I only saw junk in a baggie. So the first time when I was in my 50s, early 50s, and I saw cannabis actually as a plant, I had no idea what I was looking at. I mean, it didn't interest me to investigate it. You know, some people, they try it and it becomes their life's journey. For me, it wasn't that way. It was only when I started recognizing the medicinal benefits of this plant and realized that it isn't a step to heroin or a step to harder drug use, um, uh, that it was definitely worth investigating.
0: I think it's safe to say a lot of people share Mara's experience in that When they were young, they tried cannabis from an unknown source, they didn't know anything about the strain, they didn't even realize what a strain was, how much to take, what to take it for, when to take it, and so on, and they ended up having an unpleasant experience. And then to no one's surprise, they say it's not for them, they never touch it again, Uh, and their initial experimentation with the cannabis plant comes to an end. Then, usually through a friend or a family member, sometimes through their own experience, they find out that it does bring relief and that it's not the big bad evil drug that prohibitionists have said it is and that there's a reason why people like it so much and talk about it so much. I'm also glad she mentions how it's not a gateway to harder drugs. Even though that myth has been debunked and dispelled many times over, it still persists in some circles. If that were true, you would see a lot more uh, drug addicts on the street and hear about way more lethal overdoses than uh, there actually are happening today. Based on the national survey on drug use and health in the United States, cannabis is the third most used substance behind alcohol and tobacco. Heroin, crack, and PCP combined don't even make the top 10. So if cannabis were a gateway drug, the figures for hard drugs would be in the millions, which is not the case at all. Also, the number of lethal overdoses for cannabis worldwide, still at zero, and cannabis users know that. I also wanted to ask Mara whether people considered her to be crazy or to have poor judgment by choosing to make a career of cannabis, and this is what she said.
2: Um, I didn't hear as much that as I heard you're a drug dealer. I had people start calling me a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. I had people start saying um, what I was doing is irresponsible. I had people saying... One of the craziest things was um, uh, there's no way to know how it works or what it works or collect data because everyone's different and people started using words like magical plant. I had as much or more criticism from the people who were deeply engaged in the cannabis world than I did for the other people. Because they bring all their prejudices as well about this plant. And I started talking about breaking it down scientifically and understanding the dosing and diseases and all the mechanisms of actions and I started talking about collecting data on patients and people were like, no, 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 that's not how cannabis works. Cannabis is, you grow it and then you go in your crock pot and you make butter and you, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's science. That's repeatable. How are we ever going to get the science world to accept it if you treat it like it's not real? So I was uh, kicked out of a hospital. I was visiting my sister who was being treated at the time for radiation pneumonitis as a result of having too much radiation from lung cancer. And they had her on the maximum steroids and the maximum oxygen and she still couldn't breathe. And I kept saying, you know, we could just give her a little CBD because it'll make the the steroids stronger and it'll act as an anti-inflammatory. We put a little THC, it's a bronchial dilator, all these things. And the doctor said, we don't allow drugs and drug users in this hospital. And I said, it's not, it's a drug the same way these other drugs. And I was asked to leave.
0: This mentality of cannabis users or supporters being lumped in along with all other drugs and drug users While changing quite rapidly, it still exists today, and that's part of the problem. It's the reason why many people are still afraid to speak openly about their use of cannabis or even express their thoughts and opinions on cannabis without being labeled a homeless junkie or a dirty hippie or an irresponsible parent. She also mentioned here how she suggested the doctor prescribe her sister some CBD to go along with the steroids and some THC for balance only to draw the ire of the physician. Clearly the physician was in the dark about cannabis as a natural medicine and throwing around those terms certainly didn't help Mara's cause. Uh, But to be honest, a lot of people uh, are still in the dark about those two chemical compounds and that includes uh, a lot of uh, pro-cannabis people. Here's a snippet from a video by the Canna Foundation who do a nice job of explaining what those cannabinoids are and how they work.
1: Closer to our own times, Raphael Meshulam isolated and synthesized one of the main active components of the plant, the cannabinoid THC, followed shortly afterwards by CBD. He discovered that this organic compound has the incredible ability of connecting molecularly with certain receptors housed in many of the cells in our body. This cannabinoid has sometimes been dubbed the key to a molecular padlock. By connecting the CB1 and CB2 receptors, cannabinoids act as chemical messengers. Meshulam and his team wondered why there was a specific receptor in our bodies for this type of molecule. In 1992, a cannabinoid was finally located that is secreted naturally by our body. It was called anandamide. Subsequently, another similar molecule was discovered, also in our organism, which was called 2-AG. And it was discovered too that anandamide forms part of a wider system of intercellular communication in our bodies. This previously unknown system is known as the endocannabinoid system, and it is closely associated to our body's self-regulating processes, such as control of temperature and pH. It is involved in many different aspects, including motor coordination, neuroprotection, pain control, or appetite, among others. The endocannabinoid system helps maintain the complex balance between the different biological functions, a process known as homeostasis. THC and CBD are two of over 100 cannabinoids produced by the plant. The discovery of cannabinoids has opened up a new field in the research of the processes that regulate our organism. We know that some cannabinoids have therapeutic applications which make them very useful in the treatment of pain, cancer, or HIV. Cannabis has been part of human life for thousands of years and has tremendous properties beyond its mere recreational use. Its key role for our understanding of the endocannabinoid system and its special relationship with the chemistry of our body makes it unique. And there is still much to be discovered.
0: So just for clarity's sake, I thought I'd play that clip for you as these cannabinoids and others are going to be mentioned quite a lot in the future, and what better time than now for that little introduction. You also might remember the name Raphael Mishulam from last week's episode. Uh, He's a very significant player in the field of cannabis as medicine, and thanks to his efforts, we've discovered we have something called the endocannabinoid system that we are all born with, and this is the key for cannabis use as medicine as it helps maintain homeostasis. Uh, But getting back to Mara, uh, I really wanted to know whether there was a breaking point for her or a moment of clarity she had where she knew cannabis was the right path for her.
2: No, the moment of of my epiphany was uh, actually quite casual. Um, I I was still in that period of time where it had been many, many years since I had used cannabis because I didn't have any reason to use it. I would rather have a glass of wine to relax in the evening kind of thing. So why would I take up something that's going to make me feel paranoid? Well, I had a a friend of mine who was a daily cannabis user, and I never understood it. And I admit I judged her. I judged her as a pothead, and what is she doing, this. Um, And she came to visit me, and I used to make her go out into the garage to smoke because I didn't want that stinky stuff in my house. And so we were right in the middle of a conversation and she was going out to smoke. So I went out into the garage with her and I said, you know what? I was having horrible pain. I would say my pain was like at a level eight. It was very bad. Um, And I said, you know what? Let me try this because she had been telling me for a very long time about how her boyfriend used it. She made him brownies and all these things. So I was like, I have nothing to lose. I'm suffering. So I took... Uh, two puffs off of her and she was smoking a triple X chem dog. I know, the names are absurd. (laughs) And and I took uh, two hits. And within less than two, three minutes, my pain went from an eight to about a two. And my first response is I was furious. I was furious with all the doctors that had lied to me, had not told me that this was an option. I was living in a state that it had been legal since 1996 for me to use it medically. I had a house in Colorado for years. Not one time had a medical professional mentioned, you know, you might want to try cannabis instead of fentanyl patch, instead of Neurontin and all these horrible drugs I was on. And that was the moment when I said, This is not fair, this is not right, I have to do something.
0: So what did Mara do? She started her own cannabis company where she focuses on seriously ill patients. However, she didn't open a dispensary as she is not a fan of the current model that is practiced in the United States currently.
2: I make medicines for people primarily with cancer and very sick diseases of aging, very old people, that sort of thing. So I'm going to take my cancer medicine, the medicine's designed for this person with breast cancer, and I'm going to take it to some 21-year-old guy at a dispensary who's going to, I'm going to say, okay, this is a product for the people who come in here with cancer. And he'll say, okay, bring me some samples and we'll try that and see if we like it. And if we like it, then we'll carry it on our shelves. And I'm like, I don't care if you like it. It's not for you. It's for somebody who has cancer. It's not for you. It's not for you to go party with. And unless you have cancer, that'd be like going to a pharmacy and saying, do you carry tamoxifen, which is for women with breast cancer? Well, we tried it, and we didn't like the way it made us feel, so we don't carry it. I mean, that's absurd. So that is the dispensary model in the United States right now.
0: That view on dispensaries will probably ruffle a few feathers, Uh, and my intention is not to upset the dispensary people, who I genuinely appreciate. Um, But in defense of Mara's view, uh, at least from a medical perspective, she does raise a valid point. It's about treating and healing the patient, regardless of whether a given product is able to sell. I think this should be getting more attention because for some cannabis patients, it has become a real problem. Case in point, a Guardian article from July 31st of this year discusses how legal cannabis actually made things worse for sick people in the U.S. state of Oregon. It goes on to say that the medical cannabis market is in a downward spiral as businesses lured by big money shift to recreational. The option of making big money inspired many medical businesses to go recreational, dramatically shifting the focus away from patients to consumers. In 2015, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission took over the recreational industry. Between 2016 and 2018, nine bills were passed that expanded consumer access to marijuana while changing regulatory procedures on growing, processing, and packaging. In the shuffle, recreational marijuana turned into a million-dollar industry in Oregon, while the personalized patient-grower network of the medical program quickly dried up. Now, sick people are suffering as they have less access. Now, you also have a similar situation in California where the majority of dispensaries are also shifting towards recreational or adult use, as they call it, and the number of medical dispensaries is dwindling. So, Not to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, Uh, I think there is definitely room for both models, and I think it's better to have dispensaries uh, than to go through unlicensed, untested street dealers. If a person goes into a dispensary knowing what they want or need, then the medical aspect isn't that big of a concern. However, if we're dealing with a first-time patient with a serious illness requiring medical supervision then you need someone properly trained, willing to work with the grower and the doctor so as to get the patient the the product uh, and the care they need. So I would argue that abolishing a particular model isn't necessarily the solution. It's about working with healthcare providers, cultivators, dispensaries, and lawmakers so as to provide a quality product tailored to the needs of the patient. The issue isn't the dispensary concept itself, I believe. Uh, It's the motive of the people running the dispensary. There's nothing wrong with trying to run a business, but if you say your intention is to help the sick when in reality it's to just turn a profit, then you're doing a disservice, particularly to those in need of help. And I would also add that this is particularly true of most pharmaceutical companies and profit-driven healthcare systems in general. Looking right at you, Big Pharma. Well, what about in other countries? Uh, Doesn't Spain have a a social club model that's quite popular and successful? What would be a good model to at least consider?
2: I think the social clubs in Spain, from what I've seen, make no sense for a medical model. Once again, you have someone who's very sick, or they have a sick three-year-old, or you have uh, these sorts of situations. What are they supposed to do? There's no mandatory lab testing. So if it's not lab tested, it's not really medicine. It's just a guess of what it is. And, and people are all touchy-feely, like, oh, it makes me feel like this. Well, that's great, but how do we know what it's doing at a molecular level to actually affect the disease itself? I'm in favor more of a pharmaceutical model. For pharmaceutical with a small P, not a big P, not pharma. When I think pharmaceutical, I mean a trained chemist or trained uh, clinical pharmacologist that's getting for the patient exactly what they need. There's ways to do it with the dispensary using data and software and things like that that also may work and I've I've been working that internally we've been using it for years where the person who's making the recommendation is a doctor and the person who then uh, is fulfilling what the doctor wants them to have is doing it based upon the data and the lab results of the medicine in the shop, not what they like the way it makes them feel.
0: What Mara's is suggesting is a science-based, medicine-first approach. And at first glance, that seems like a perfectly rational solution for getting medicine to patients. The problem lies in decades of prohibition and the resulting restrictions on any type of research, disseminating any type of information regarding cannabis, and other limitations such as a ban on banking with cannabis businesses, uh, on top of all of the misinformation and lies and propaganda coming from the war on drugs. That stuff won't disappear overnight. As Mara mentioned, when you quickly implement new rules and regulations for something that is as large and complex as the cannabis industry in California, you will most certainly cause confusion and havoc and upset a lot of people. As flawed as the current system may be, I see it as just the beginning of an industry that still has a lot of road bumps ahead of it. More change is coming. Given the sticky situation we're in, I asked her if cannabis legalization in California was a little too much too fast.
2: I don't think it's too much too fast. I think that it's a long time coming. My biggest complaint and frustration as somebody who owns several companies is that They came out on the 16th of November with what some of the guidelines were gonna be and they had to be taking effect January 1st. And that'd be like taking a giant boat, like a Titanic and turning it on a dime. It just doesn't happen. So it's been very, very complicated process and very expensive. And some of the better uh, uh, medicine makers that are out there are not making it through the legalization. So you have these big and big giant brands from all over the US that are getting into California, that have no experience previously in California, and that's how they're doing it. So what I did is I started another company called The Oil Plant because I started seeing that the country or the state of California, many, many companies that were either coming into the state or weren't making it through legalization or whatever were using mass-produced oils by others, and then they were doing something called white labeling where they were taking you know, somebody's oil, and then putting their package, their label, their name on it. And I thought, okay, if this is the way the industry's going, and I'm committed to people having access to good, solid, well-understood lab-tested medicine, then then I'm going to go the way the river is flowing. So I created the oil plant where we now produce oil that goes into other people's products. So there are some of our products out there in other people's, or our medicine is out there in other people's products, but not ours in particular. Um, And then that's how we got our license.
0: With California being the world's fifth largest economy, it's no surprise people are flocking to the largest legal cannabis market in the country, and by default, the globe. Mara does raise valid concerns about external companies coming to California to make money at the expense of consumers and patients. We shall see what this leads to, but I also have my doubts about the motivations and intentions of a lot of these companies. Given Mara's background and experience in the industry, I was curious as to whether there was anything that shocked or surprised her over the years.
2: I think the thing I find the most shocking is when people say to me, well, there just isn't enough evidence. I find that to be, I just want to slap them. <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, it just infuriates me. There's over, yes, we do. We know how to kill cancer in every kind of mouse you can imagine. We know how to control things in every kinds of petri dishes and mice. I understand, yes, 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 we need more human studies. But we have over 10,000 studies to choose enough information from that it's worth, that we've never seen anyone die We've So why not try it? What is the risk? What is the downside of trying it? If it's going to alleviate suffering, what is your, what's the obstacle I don't understand? When you look at other drugs, like uh, the, one of the more common drugs that is like Adderall, there's like 400 studies ever done on it. And it's one of the most widely prescribed drugs in the world. So I think it's the frustration that doctors use that as a, an excuse because it requires them to be actively involved and engaged in their patients' health and, and welfare and uh, dosing protocol, and they don't want to. They, they're so accustomed to the lazy route of one size fits all, or if you weigh this, then you take that, or first my book says, first I give you this, if it doesn't work, then I add this, and if that doesn't work, then I add that, and, and cannabis doesn't work that way. It's participatory medicine. And doctors are no longer accustomed to participating with their patients. They come in, they have a tablet between them and you, they spend five minutes with you, they da 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 they walk out, and then somebody gives you a piece of paper or directly sends it to your pharmacy. And that's it. That's medicine today.
0: Mara doesn't paint the rosiest picture of Western medicine here, but I agree that medicine has become commodified and that healthcare providers are rewarded not for their ability to heal, but how many prescriptions they write or procedures they recommend. But to get back to the research or alleged lack thereof on cannabis, if you do a keyword search on PubMed, an archive for scientific journal articles in the peer-reviewed literature at the U.S. National Institutes of Health's National Library of Medicine, you'll see not 10,000 entries, but rather over 28,000 entries for cannabis or marijuana. For Adderall which is one of the most widely prescribed drugs on the market, just over 200. Given the complex and not-so-clear situation we're in at the moment, I asked Mara if cannabis nonetheless has a bright future.
2: Oh, 100%. I I think that everybody that's in this industry right now is what I call an early adapter. Early adapter, because it's brand new. It's been around for 10,000 years, but it's brand new and uh, there's all sorts of opportunity. I would just say that my one hope and wish for these people is that they put the uh, safety and health of people over profits. And unfortunately, a lot of what I'm seeing around the world is not that case. Um, And I I would recommend that people be very skeptical and investigate and ask as many questions they can before they feel comfortable representing a product or making a product or going into some other ancillary business. I gave a talk a few times now on all the different opportunities in the cannabis space, whether they touch the plant or don't touch the plant. Because there's many things, like what you're doing doesn't touch the plant. You're You're doing an interview for a podcast. That's the cannabis industry, but it's nothing to do with the plant itself. So decide where you feel comfortable and you want to f- and find your niche in it. Everybody that's in the cannabis industry doesn't have to become a farmer or a medicine maker or a dispensary owner or, or, or a bud tender. You can become a, an attorney or an advertising company. So find your niche and then excel in it.
0: So it's not all doom and gloom despite the issues the industry faces. There's plenty of potential and lots to look forward to. Where do we go if we want to contact Mara?
2: Well, you can always go to AuntZeldas.org. It's a u uh, n t z e l d a s dot org, and on there, there's a contact page. Um, also, my email I give out freely. It's Mara M A R A at AuntZeldas.org, and if I don't have the answer, I don't. I'll get it to my appropriate person in my organization to help to answer it then.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for the information. Mara Gordon, uh, wish you a successful uh, rest of the conference uh, and a safe trip uh, back to California. Thank you. That wraps up Episode 2 of Critical Grass. Special thanks goes out to Fundacion Cana for letting us use their video on the endocannabinoid system. The full video, as well as many others, can be found on their YouTube channel of the same name. Links to their content can be found on the Critical Grass website. If you like what you heard, feel free to share this podcast on the Face Tubes and the U Hubs and whatever interbooks you might be addicted to. We will be back with more discussions on all things cannabis next week, so stay tuned and keep fighting the good
1: fight. Peace.